We're digging deep and asking the questions we need to ask. Years of stress and not just emotional. I was depleting my body. I was malnourished. I'm working out like crazy. I'm eating all these healthy foods. How could I not be well? We have to get back to the basics. We can change the way our genes are expressed. Anyone that wants to improve their health or upgrade their health, they should be biohacking. My name is Renee. And I'm Lauren. We are the Biohacker Babes. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. The Biohacker Babes podcast aims to create insight into the body's natural healing abilities, strengthen your intuition, and empower you with techniques and modalities to optimize your health and wellness. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 81 of the Biohacker Babes podcast. I'm Renee and I'm here with my sister, Lauren. Hello, hello. And we are bringing on a good friend of ours today, Hilda, um, also known as Holistic Hilda. It's really cool. We actually met through a mutual friend, I think like four years ago at Paleo FX. And she is really big in the Weston Price Foundation world. And, you know, our dad has been teaching us the principles of Weston Price since the mid eighties. So we're well aware of that and love meeting other people in that space. And this was just such a fun, friendly conversation. I, I'm like still smiling from recording the episode. <laughs> I am too. She's so awesome. She's such a ray of sunshine and just so loving and generous and so much spirit there. So I'm still like grinning ear to ear as well. Yeah. Amazing, <laughs> vibrant energy, just coming through the computer screen. Pervasive. Yeah. Yeah. So we do talk a lot about the Weston A. Price Foundation. So if you're not familiar with that, she talks about the principles behind that, who Dr. Weston Price was, and really a lot about ancestral health. And we, we love this topic because I think we can learn so much from our ancestors and what we should be doing seasonally and being outside more and the original free biohacks, right, that our ancestors were already doing before biohacking was even a term. So <laughs> So many, so many amazing things that she's going to share with us today. But before I bring her on, let me go ahead and share her bio with you. Hilda Labradagor is an ancestral health advocate who has traveled the world exploring indigenous practices for optimal well-being. From Kenya to Peru to Australia to Cuba, Hilda has uncovered ancient traditions and wisdom that can benefit anyone anywhere on the globe. She is convinced that the secret to good health lies in looking to the past for guidance, not in some pricey program or product. A translator in a former life, Hilda specializes in translating complicated concepts into easy-to-grasp steps that result in vibrant health. Hilda is a biohacker, an integrative nutrition certified health coach, and an ACE certified fitness professional. She is also the host and producer of the Wise Traditions and Tradiciones Sabias podcast on behalf of the Weston A. Price Foundation. Hilda shares the best of experts, experiences, and epic adventures on the podcast, her Holistic Hilda YouTube channel, and on ancestral health tours that she leads. She also is the director and producer of Holistic Hilda Productions, movies that highlight ancestral wisdom. 
In addition to being a health coach, she is a podcast coach and the author of Podcasting Made Simple. She especially enjoys helping people in the health and wellness space launch their shows. She has energy to spare thanks to her love for sunshine and liverwurst. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that too. What a perfect yeah. diet, sunshine and liverwurst. What else do you need? Oregon yeah. Meat. Yeah. She is so awesome. I think what one of my biggest takeaways from this episode is just how simplified everything becomes when you're following these principles. She's like, don't overcomplicate it. We just need sunshine. We need real food. We need to get back to our traditions and that will bring you health, wealth, and gosh, the, the happiness that she really exudes. So yeah, you guys are going to love, love, love this conversation with Holistic Hilda. And that's such a cool name. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Let's get into it. Welcome Hilda to the show. We are so happy you could join us today. How are you doing in the start of 2021? I'm actually doing great because I have big expectations for good things to happen this year. So thank you for having me, you guys. I'm really excited. This is part of the fun of this year is being with you all. Oh, we're so happy to have you here. Thank you. Yeah, I've already had a blast talking with you before we we even hit record today. So excited. We should have known that getting podcasters together, we'd be talking a lot. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) It'll be double the length today. No. Um, Well, we're really excited to finally get you on because what we were just talking about, we briefly met, we want to say 2017, we were doing Mm -hmm. Ben Greenfield's live workout at Paleo FX, which was super fun. And I'm hoping that comes back this year. But we met through a mutual friend, Gina Riggs. So she's obviously a big uh, Western Prairie supporter. And that's how we got connected, which is so great. I love uh, meeting other people in the circle, especially with Weston Price. And if anyone is saying, what the heck is Weston Price? <laughs> We're going to talk about Dr. Weston A. Price today and all the amazing things that he has discovered and brought about. And Hilda, you're really sharing his message today. But before we go down that rabbit hole, maybe you can just share with us how you got into this. I know you had some health issues as a kid. You're very passionate about holistic health and it's just so amazing. So could you kick us off with your story? Oh my gosh. Well, I am just so glad to be alive, you guys. When my mom was pregnant with me, she got exposed to the German measles and the doctors told her, oh my gosh, your baby is going to be born with some serious birth defect. And they said I could be born blind or unable to hear or speak. And so when I was born, my parents didn't know quite what to expect. Thankfully, there was nothing, you know, apparent immediately, but what they did find was that I had a hole in my heart. And I say thankfully, because if they had not repaired it through open heart surgery when I was nine, the doctor said I wouldn't have lived very long. So they monitored me my whole childhood. And I kind of wasn't very active because I wasn't sure if I was going to mess anything up. And they were kind of concerned too. I would go periodically back to the National Institutes of Health and they would check me. And finally at nine years old, like I said, they did this open heart surgery. And when they did that, they said, you can do whatever you want. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I was so excited. So what did I want to do? Well, I wanted to be my strongest, healthiest self. So I started, you know, working out, not at nine, but you know, (laughs) down the line. Yeah. Started like hitting the gym. (laughs) I know a friend of mine's like, oh, right away you started doing that. I was like, no, but I had this idea that life is precious and I want to make the most of it. In Spanish, we say, sacarle el jugo a la vida. I wanted to kind of squeeze all the juice out of life. So I wanted to be strong. I never really got into drinking or smoking or any of that stuff because I was like, I want to honor this body. And then later, you know, I made it my life's passion to help others as well. And at first I thought it was all about exercise. So yeah, I, I was all about hitting the gym and helping other people to, you know, lift weights and all this stuff. And then my best friend got sick with chronic fatigue and 
you know, she started telling me, you know, Hilda, the doctors can't help me, but as I've changed my diet, I found some improvements. And she was the one that introduced me to the Weston Price Foundation and this kind of wise traditions way of living and eating. Wow. Amazing. So our dad is a biological dentist and we grew up with wise traditions in our living room and learning all about Weston A. Price. So we haven't really talked about it that much on the podcast. So can you give us a rundown of what he stands for, what he brought back from his travels around the world? And then I would love to hear about your travels around the world as well. Oh my gosh. It's one of my favorite stories to tell actually about Dr. Price, because he wasn't just a dentist. He was like a researcher and an intrepid traveler. And he had written some papers and medical journals. And what happened was he had a little clinic in Ohio. He was actually a Canadian who came down to Ohio to start a practice. And he kept treating these kids who you know, had crowded teeth, poor behavior, a lot of cavities. And he would contrast these children in his clinic with people in National Geographic magazine. This was back in the 1930s, but they had this magazine already. And he would see these images of these indigenous people with these broad faces and beautiful smiles. And he's like, what is up? Like, what is happening? And so he took it upon himself to find these people and travel around the world. I think he would mostly take the summer vacations with his wife, Florence, and off they would go to Australia and Alaska and Africa. And they were just really looking for kind of isolated people groups who hadn't left their traditional ways because these are the ones he was seeing in the magazine. And he wanted to know what they, how they were living and what they were eating. He was particularly intrigued by their smiles being a dentist. So what he found was, of course, they're eating all different things all over the world. You know, in Alaska, it was seal oil and whale blubber and a lot of fish, you know, and like no carbs. <laughs> you can't grow anything there, you know. And then in Switzerland, it was like, uh, a lot of dairy products, butter and milk. And and in Kenya, it was meat and milk and blood. And so he's like, what do all these people have in common? And he realized they were still eating their traditional foods wherever they were in the world. And he came up with a book called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, where he tells all about this. And it's actually not a hard tome to read. It's actually interesting. He includes pictures and he was able to contrast these people, not only with the children in his clinic in Ohio, but with indigenous peoples who had begun to change their diet and kind of westernize it, eating modern foods like white flour and sugar and oils and canned foods. And the people who left their traditional diets began to see physical degeneration, which just means they were starting to fall apart. Their posture was bad. Their um, teeth would get crowded or they'd get infections or they'd come up with these diseases that they had never seen before. So I have a little story to tell you from his book. And then I'll tell you why I decided to follow in his footsteps. So in his book, he tells a story of this chef who was a chef to the white people, let's say in this portion of Africa or whatever. And all the people had great health, except for the <laughs> except for the chef and the people he was serving. In other words, it was these white people who were like colonizing a part of Africa, I guess. And so he was the one whose teeth were falling out and the people he was serving these like westernized foods weren't doing well, but the indigenous people were still hale and hearty. So I thought, okay, he wrote this book, you know, in the 19, at the end of his travels in the 1930s, early 40s. And I thought, I want to see what are these people doing today? So I decided to start going places. I went to Kenya and I went to Peru and I went to Australia and I will update you on all of that. But in the meantime, before I started taking the trips, I started this podcast, the Wise Traditions podcast, because I thought people could still benefit from learning about 
what he came across and the foundation that I make the podcast for summarized these wise traditions and 11 principles for healthy living and eating. And they include things like, you know, eating whole real foods, avoiding processed foods, going for nutrient density, like more bang for your buck instead of quantity over quality. And so they have these little principles. So we started the podcast kind of focusing on those. And then I've started traveling the world to learn more about it. That's amazing. It's kind of a foreign concept in this country because we all shop at grocery stores or order food online. There's no tradition for food unless you go to, say, like a Native American reservation, which I've visited before and I I watched a, a bison, a buffalo killing. They're eating off of the land. Where else do we do that in this country? It's like we don't even know what naturally grows here. I mean, commercial agriculture has completely bastardized that. So yeah. where do we even a be? Farmer's market is probably the closest thing we even have. And that's right? considered pretty bougie too. It's like, oh, you went to the farmer's, farmer's market, market on Saturday and then you went to brunch, I see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's true. But Lauren, to your point about you know, Native American reservations, it makes me sad because once they were removed from their land, they were told, to, they were also removed from their food waste. Let me just put it that way. And so suddenly they were eating what the government was giving them. And now, as you know, on reservations, there's a high suicide rate and alcoholism and all of diabetes linked. Yes. Oh, it's so sad. Yeah. And when I got to Australia, I found out that they did the same thing to the Aboriginal people there. They were removed from their land and they were shuttered away and massacred. I mean, all these horrible things. So happily now there is a, a movement in Australia and in other parts of the world, thank God, of returning people to their lands and returning to the foods that nourished us once so well. Dr. Price was surprised. Well, this is what he did. He took samples of the food from these indigenous traditional cultures and sent them back to his lab in Ohio for analysis. And what he found was they had like four times the water-soluble vitamins in their food compared to the food that was eaten in Ohio at that time. And 10 times the fat-soluble vitamins. They were getting a lot of like vitamin A and D and E and K that was naturally occurring in animal products like eggs and cheese and dairy and, and the nutrients that are in the meats, you know. So we need to go back to these things, I think, to really live a vibrant life that is our birthright, you know, for all of us. Yeah. What do you think about, like, how do we figure out the best diet for us? Like, do we look at where our family is from? Is there one very nutrient dense diet that's good for everyone? That is a great question. And I don't think anybody's ever asked me that, Renee. That is a great question. (laughs) I love it. Surprise. (laughs) Yeah. I do believe that we are all different, right? So I might thrive on a heavy butter and meat diet, which is kind of what I love to do. (laughs) I just love to have all these things. And you might do better on more vegetables, which is great. So I think it does have a little bit to do with our personal ancestry and where our people are from. But um, that said, I think one thing I learned from the Australians is this concept of didiri, which means deep listening. And so I think if we all pause and listen to our bodies and even listen to what our ancestors may be wanting to tell us now, or what our own spirits are telling us about this moment, we might be surprised by what we hear. And when I first learned this concept, I was with an Aboriginal woman on her ancestral property. And 
she was telling me her story. She thought she was just going to be a hairdresser. Okay. Just like, just like native Americans in, in our country or, you know, indigenous people throughout the world, they, you know, get assimilated into the modern day culture. And so she was just like learning. And she's like, I was picturing myself with like a Vidal Sassoon hair salon. And suddenly she started doing some deep listening and actually through some dreams as well. She found a way and was suddenly gifted the land that belonged to her ancestors in Gracevale Station outside of Barcaldon. And I'm telling you this long-winded story just because she's the one that told me that we need to follow this practice of Didiri, of deep listening, and we may be surprised at where it takes us. And when she was telling me some stories, you guys, I will tell your listeners as well, she had a little candle on the table. We were talking, there's a candle on the table, no big deal. We're sitting in her dining room. And it goes out. And I was like, okay, well, maybe a moth got on it and, you know, whatever, because there was plenty of wax to burn. I didn't get what was happening. And within 30 seconds to a minute, it relighted. And we were like, what just happened? It felt like there was kind of some approval, seal of approval from beyond of someone wanting her to tell her story. And so... I think so we cool. need to do, I know, I think we need to do more deep listening to figure out exactly what's best. And I think our bodies will tell us, I have to be honest with you. Sometimes I'll get sourdough bread. That's not really sourdough. Like I really like sourdough. That's the true thing. It's been fermented. It's one of the few um, grains that you can take in that's been properly processed that will do your body good. And when I eat the kind that's not like really fermented, they just add vinegar and call it sourdough. My stomach, I know, like I don't feel that great after I have it. My stomach kind of reacts a little bit. I try to ignore it, but I know it's trying to tell me that wasn't the real deal, Hilda, you know? So I think people should really listen to their bodies and also check out these wise traditions because it may be that, for example, you could handle raw dairy when you can't handle pasteurized. They're two totally different products. The raw has all the enzymes and the bacteria and all the things that that real living food would offer you. Whereas the pasteurized has been you know, processed at a high temperature to get rid of the bad, you know, pathogenic bacteria. But when they do that, they also get rid of the good. So you're ending up with more of a dead product and doesn't have half of the good qualities that the natural raw product would have. So pay attention to your body, do some deep listening and see what works for you. Yeah. Paying paying attention to that life force that we should be getting from food that we don't, if it's packaged or maybe it's leftovers from four days ago and it's not really living anymore. But I think that whole intuition piece is difficult because we've all heard of people traveling to Europe and they eat pasta. They're like, I can't normally eat pasta, but I eat over there. I didn't gain any weight. It didn't hurt my stomach. And they come back and they're confused. And then there's like this extra little piece. People don't take the next extra step to, to discover the differences in the way that our wheat is produced in this country. So then they're just left in a state of confusion. And I think people don't, uh, we're not empowering people to ask the right questions to figure out exactly how to put that intuition into place, even if they've had glimpses of it. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think all we can do is, yeah, make attempts at listening. And maybe then you also become more aware. For example, when I started on this like real food journey, it started with butter. I couldn't do everything. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be buying organic (laughs) this and, you know, spending my whole paycheck at Whole Foods, but I can do one thing. So I started (laughs) incorporating butter and our family loved it. And we found it was amazing. And so we just started taking incremental little steps. And the more aware I've become, actually, the more I'm kind of moving away from even whole foods that my daughter calls industrialized organic, you know, in other words, it's organic (laughs) in label, but how organic is that? How long has that been in some, even if it's organic, been in some warehouse, you know, because apparently they're allowed to 
keep it with that label when it's not really the best practices. So I'm more and more, I'm shifting to not only farmer's markets, but then going to farms, you know, I go to Sally's farm, I go to Joel's farm. I'm like, I really do know my farmer. And I find, like you said, Lauren, that life force is, you can't quite put your finger on why it just tastes so amazingly good. It's, it's the whole thing together. It's knowing the land and the farmer and the relationships. Like it's just a beautiful thing. And so actually that leads me to another story. Do you want me to tell you a story about my experience in Canada? All the stories, please. Yeah. Story time. <laughs> I'm like, how much should I be talking here? Cause I, I forget. I don't always like it when my guests go on and on, but no, free reign, please. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. I'm happy about that. So When I was in Kenya, um, I went to talk about wise traditions because they were like, send someone over. We're not just going to be like, let's tell the whole world about what this, you know, Anglo-Saxon dentist has to say, you know, where it's like more like, let's just go where people want to hear. And this Maasai warrior contacted the foundation and he's like, please send someone over. We're all getting sick. He goes, I have diabetes. My wife has asthma. He could see the kind of more crooked teeth of his youngest child. Like he could see what was happening as they were Westernizing their diet. And so the foundation sent two volunteers. I was lucky enough to be one of them. And when I got over there was actually when I got the idea of the podcast, because I was like, these people have stories to tell. And I grabbed my phone and I interviewed this man. He was so old, you guys. He was this Maasai elder. He didn't even know how old he was. Like no one could tell how old he was. He was like over a hundred probably. And he's like, oh, I'm, you know, mostly fine, but a little dimming in the eyes. I think it's age. I was like, I guess if that's all you've got, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. But so wow. through a translator, I started asking him like, what did you eat when you were little? And he was like, yes, it was just what we hunted. You know, it was wild game, maybe some wild honey and fruit, but that was it. And he was just amazing. You guys, he's still alive today. This was in 20. 20- 15, I think that I went there and he's still alive today. So it's like amazing to me. I'm in touch with some of these Maasai people. It's just amazing. But anyway, so then in 2016, I went back and the whole community had begun to change their approach because I, not because of me, but because they realized we need to return to our wise traditions. And at the end of my visit in 2015, before I left, a pastor, because I have a little church there, got up in front of the whole community and said, starting today, we are going to be cooking our traditional foods. And I was surprised that he kind of made this edict, but I found out later they made that decision in community. The elders decided together, this is what we're going to do. And I think this is another wise tradition that we're kind of missing that we just kind of solo it, you know, like, well, I guess I'm going to start eating this way. And, you know, some influencer on Instagram said, this is good. I guess I'll do that. Well, what about, you know, doing some deep listening and then seeing what works for your family unit, for your Mm -hmm. local community? Like, is it realistic for you to be eating pineapple in December when you live in New Hampshire? You know what I mean? So I think it's important to think about all these things. Yeah. And I think you just brought up a great point about community. And Lauren, I, I'm a great example of that. I went to Italy. I ate all the pizza pasta all day long. I felt fine. But there was something about the community and love there. Like I remember I was at this one restaurant in Italy and I was eating this ravioli stuffed with fresh lemons made from the lemon tree outside. And the grandmother that had been running that restaurant for like 50 years came out and asked me like, how is everything, you know, in Italian, but just like knowing that she had probably gone to that lemon tree right outside and made this fresh for me, it just 
the love and again, community there, I think made such a difference. It's not that, oh, pasta's bad or pasta's good, right? I think it's what goes into your food. Where does it come from? It's like a whole- And you were sitting down with friends and probably eating slowly with- Yep. Those rituals. Maybe a glass of wine, like looking out at the water and the sunshine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So many other factors that come into play. It is just the whole to, shebang. Yeah. Just to add on to that, I, I have this recent hypothesis because I'm testing my blood glucose all the time. And I've started to notice, hang in there with me, because this is not fully fleshed out this idea, but I have hypothesized that when I eat with family, at a holiday or even just a family dinner, my blood sugar is not really affected. I don't have like crazy spikes. It stays pretty even. I can eat the same food at another time of day by myself. And it is a completely different experience. What a neat hypothesis. I like it. That makes sense to me. It triggered this idea on Thanksgiving. I ate the same Thanksgiving food the next day for lunch and Thanksgiving dinner. My blood sugar was even and steady. And the next day it was like spike angry, like would not come back down. It's like, what's the difference here? I'm eating the exact same thing. If anything, I ate less carbohydrates, but I ate quickly. I ate by myself. It was the middle of the day. It was in between doing work. There's a huge sharpening it down. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. A, a, a huge aspect of like slowing down and enjoying, like having joy and feeling the love in your food that most of us do not allow ourselves to have a lot of the time. And right now it's a hard time to be in community. You know, a lot of people are feeling really lonely, but if there's any way to make it happen, make it happen. We had a neighbor over last night. My husband wanted to um, watch football with him and like, okay, I just got to be honest. Of course I'm, I'm calling him out, but he ordered a pizza, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but he was like, you know what? That was really neat connecting with the neighbor. The neighbor sat a little distance away. um, And that was more out of, you know, respect for what he's, you know, feeling or thinking at this time, but um, they still shared food together and an experience together. And it probably was more nourishing than like a healthy salad by yourself, you know, on a cold day, I would say. Yeah. So, yeah there's really yes. something to that. Salad yeah. can be so lonely. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then that brings up the seasonal thing. Yeah. What do you think about eating a raw cold salad in the dead of winter? Oh gosh. It just doesn't sit right. It doesn't sit right, right? You just naturally in the summer want something lighter. And I never thought about this too much until I read uh, Barbara Kingsolver's book, Animal Vegetable Miracle, I think. And she talked about Mm -hmm. eating seasonally and eating things locally. And Mm -hmm. also when I connected with Dr. Jack Cruz, because he feels very strongly, that's what he calls it is an evolutionary mismatch. If you are eating a pineapple, let's say in New Hampshire, (laughs) that you really need to eat what's local to you. I'm still, you know, wrapping my head around that. And again, I like to do what works for me. My mom's from Mexico, so I like avocados. And I think he's not, Jack Cruz is not a fan of avocados, but I'm like, this seems right to me because of my origin, my ancestry. So I, you know, again, just try to do what I think works for me. But I do think eating seasonally is definitely what our ancestors did. And it's definitely Mm -hmm. something we could use more of. You kind of crave those soups and broths more and they are so nourishing. So yeah, go with, you know, what you're feeling deep, deep down inside. I love that. Hey, biohackers, Renee here. The truth is people age at different speeds. The date that marks your birthday doesn't necessarily reflect your body's biological age your inner age. Learning your biological age may seem daunting, but inner age is more than just a simple measurement. It's the starting point for you to take control of your health and wellness journey. 
Inside Tracker is a personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and now fitness trackers to help you optimize your performance from the inside out. First, they analyze your body's biomarker data to offer you a clear picture of what's going on inside you. Then they provide science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes and track your progress every step of the way. Transforming your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science-backed recommendations you need to reach your goals. Take advantage of our amazing partnership with Inside Tracker and get 25% off. Just go to insidetracker.com/biohackerbabes. We will also put this link in the show notes for today's episode. Mm-hmm. Can we take a step back? Can you talk about some of the major Western A price principles, like mm-hmm. just basic food nutrition? Absolutely, absolutely. So I mentioned the first one, which I think is no processed or unrefined food, you know, or refined foods. I'm sorry. We're trying to avoid the overly processed and refined foods. So trying to eat as much of a whole real diet as we can. Um, There's also the um, beans, nuts, legumes, and seeds were always properly prepared, which means that they were soaked or sprouted or fermented. In other words, these foods have anti-nutrients that are hard for our bodies to digest and hard for our bodies to access all the nutrients in them. So when you prepare them as our ancestors did, it removes the, or neutralizes the phytic acid and makes everything more bioavailable. So if you're always like, oh, I can't eat a lot of beans because you know I end up with a lot of gas. Well, it's because they probably haven't been soaked (laughs) and it's not complicated. Mm -hmm. It's really not complicated. It's just as simple as soaking it overnight in some water with maybe a little acidic, um, you know, apple cider vinegar or something in there to kind of facilitate the process. But you just need that warmth, the moisture and time to process these things properly. So that's definitely one of the principles. Another one is again, the nutrient density I was talking about. So look for, it's not about quantity. It's about quality. You guys, if you eat really nutrient-dense foods, you're not going to be as hungry. You're going to be satiated. So you're not going to overeat. You don't have to worry about gaining weight. At least that's not been my experience. You know, it's more just like fat is satiating. And so also Dr. Price noticed that they had a good percentage of fat in the diets and the percentage varied from people group to people group. I think they had more fat in the colder latitudes maybe, but it's probably much more than we eat in general today. You know, most of us have been convinced by the dietary guidelines from the U.S. to eat low fat, even though I think they've even changed them some, but people still think, oh, too much fat isn't good. If it's the right fat, you're good. And that's another one of the principles is making sure you have the right balance of omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids. And so how do you do that? I'm always scratching my head. That sounds so scientific. What does that mean? I'm always (laughs) asking Sally. And she just explains that you want more saturated fats and fewer of the highly processed vegetable oils, those yellow canola, you know, uh, sunflower, safflower, all those have been oxidized and, and processed to such a degree that they really don't have any nutrient value. And our ancestors wouldn't have been able to make oil out of a little, you know, seed anyway. They were making it, they were using the lard that they had rendered from the fat of a pig or, you know, they had tallow and maybe palm oil, but they weren't using all those seed oils. So those are the ones you want to really avoid. So those are some of the big ones. Also fermentation, also preparation for pregnancy. Like there are a bunch of little, you know, nuances in there, but that's an overview about from six of the 11 principles, I think. I love that. I think when I think of Weston A. Price, I think butter, eggs, animal meats and organs, 
Yes. Yes. Things you, if you walked in onto a farm or into a grassy field. Yeah. Um, your luck I, of finding it would be very high. <laughs> yeah. So a really disturbing story about butter happened to me this week. A company sent me two free big sticks of plant butter. <gasps> I flipped it over and it was canola oil, sunflower oil, safflower oil. That's some a other artificial <laughs> stuff. That's and I'm disgusting. Thinking, What's wrong with butter? Like, why are we trying to manufacture this fake version of it? Yeah. I had a food product end up in my home this week as well. Jeremy, my boyfriend brought home a box of plant-based crackers. He was like, you got to try these. They're plant-based. I was like, oh, cool. Immediately turned the label over. I'm like, it's wheat for one. Yeah. Gluten and wheat in it. And it was all vegetable oils. But now Plant-based this trend of labeling things as plant-based has become the new, like quote unquote, natural or organic. People are seeking that, that labeling. It's so Thank you dangerous. For saying that. Thank you for saying that because I think we've bought those crackers before. And I remember having them somewhere and someone's like, how could a cracker not be plant-based? That doesn't make yeah. any sense. Yeah. But they're using <laughs> again, these labels and even organic and, you know, obfuscating the facts that these oils are in there that aren't good. So we do, we have to really be wise. And that's why, like we were saying earlier, you need to listen to your intuition. But also I think in the U.S., as you were pointing out, Renee, it's a different standard here in the U.S. than it is in other countries. And ours is looser. So you want to pay attention to any crackers or wheat products that you have that are certainly were probably sprayed with glyphosate. And that may be why you're having a reaction to those. But, you know, when we were saying earlier, uh, I think to Lauren's point about enjoying a meal and, and you were also talking about it, Renee, about enjoying a meal in Italy with friends and that community thing. I want to share a quick anecdote about my trip to Peru. So when I went there, I got to go to like these really remote you know, mountains. It was like amazing. These like black hills, I think they're called almost like the black hills of South Dakota. And I went up to this elementary school and the children there in like the little cafeteria, they were selling chicken feet (laughs) and other (laughs) stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, I could kind of tell without even knowing that, you know, what these kids were being fed because their faces were really round and they had the ruddy cheeks, not from acne or, you know, rosea, some allergic reaction, but from their spending time in the sun. And they just looked so well. And I asked the kids, how many of you are still eating? Um, I think guinea pig is a popular food there in the mountains of Peru. It's called kui down there. And like three quarters of the class raised their hand. And I was like, so happy, you know? And then later I went back down to the capital, Lima, where we were speaking to some university students and the contrast and how they looked compared to these other kids was stark. They were pale. They had narrow faces. They had poor posture. And I thought it, it, in part, it's the food. I'm sure they've kind of modernized in the city, but it's also where they're spending their time. These kids at the university are always on their laptop because they're studying, they're researching. And these other kids are out on the farm with their parents, you know? And so it was quite the contrast. And that leads me to another ancestral practice, which is getting the sunshine. I think, um, you know, we've gotten confused about its importance. We've been told to slather on the sunscreen and wear sunglasses, but our mitochondria need that 
you know, energy from the sun. Think of yourself as a little battery. You get energy from the earth and from the sun. You need it from both ends. And so get your feet on the ground as these kids were doing in Peru, these in the, in the highlands there, and then get that the sun's rays on your body because your body's like a solar panel and you will take in that energy, feed your mitochondria, boost your metabolism, increase your energy. It'll help your circadian rhythm, the whole shebang. I'm just such a huge sun fan and I rarely wear sunscreen. I think I might've worn it once in Australia because they told me there was a hole in the ozone layer. But but really, <laughs> I tried not to because I'm like, just give it to me, give it to me. And it's actually anti-aging to get sun. So it's just, mm. everything's been turned on its head. We really need to return to ancient wisdom to live our best lives today. Yeah. yeah that sun piece is really difficult because the beauty industry, every product, no matter what it's for, has SPF in it. And they're always like, make sure you have your SPF. Don't go outside unless you're protected but you're harming yourself. That's a really difficult one to reframe, but we are with you. We're major sun fans. I don't wear a lot of sunscreen, unless I'm going to be in the sun for an extended period of time, but that morning sunshine in your eyes exposed to that light is so powerful. I know in addition to that, you're a big cold exposure person too, right? Can you talk about that? I know. Not catching, is... you. I think you call it catching cold. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I also talk a lot about sunshine and shivers. That's like my little thing because I Ooh. feel like they're both so good for you. It's like, experience the ambient temperature. Our ancestors spent three quarters of their time outside and maybe a quarter in a cave when they were sleeping to hide from tigers or whatever, you know, but we do it the other way around. We spend three quarters inside. Do you know how many years I would like feed my kids breakfast, you know, go work out at a gym and then go to work, buy groceries, come home. I, maybe total, I was 15 minutes outside. It was just between my car and the building. And mm-hmm. now I'm like, what was I doing? I was a health coach. I had no idea. But now I try to spend as much time as I can outside, even in the winter. And I love that you asked about that, Lauren, because the way I like to look at it is the low-hanging fruit, the easiest way to start doing cold adaptation is not jumping in an ice hole in Minnesota. It's really (laughs) just wearing one less layer and don't resist the cold. I used to always be like, I hate winter. My only consolation is it's one season out of four. You know, I was just trying to grin and bear it. But now I'm like, bring it. This is like a little challenge to my body. And so I wear less layers and And now I'm at the point where I'll wear shorts and a tank top in 32 degree weather and feel fine because I'm used to it. So you can take your time and build up to it. And even if you take a walk with your kids and they're all bundled up and only your faces are showing, you're still doing cold adaptation. So the shiver walk is a great place to start. Don't feel like you have to do all the extremes. And those are fun and those are great when you build up to it, but it, it actually lengthens your telomeres. So you will live longer. I literally saw a neighbor today. She saw me and she thought it was crazy because I was in my tank top and shorts. She said, you're going to live forever. And I was like, she's right. And she doesn't even know that she's right. So that's the best compliment. Yeah, it was nice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think I needed to hear that because I am that person that hates being cold, but Mm. I'm going to push myself to I think that's because I'm always bullying you to take cold showers, but I think Hilda's right. Just taking one layer off just a little bit. Yeah. Just going for a walk when it's a little chilly out. Yeah. And the minute you step outside, Renee, you just need to say to yourself, this is what I do. I say, oh, it's like a waterfall. So I embrace it when it's cold. I'm like, this is exhilarating. Like I tell myself that 
And I find myself thinking that more often because I keep saying it, you know, instead of saying, oh, it's so cold out here, darn it, you know? Right, right. Um, you know, so really open up to it. And it reminds me of childbirth because when I was in labor, I did the Bradley method and they were just like, don't fight what's happening to your body. When you tense up, it's worse. You need to like relax into it. So that's what I do. And it really helps. Yeah. Okay. That's a message from 2020. <laughs> yes. But also this cold exposure, I, I've read somewhere you were talking about catching cold rather than catching a cold. And, and the myth is if you are out in cold weather for too long, you're going to get sick. Can you talk about that? Oh my gosh. It's, it's the opposite. It's immune system supporting. And it's so funny because we do, it's a total myth to say, oh my gosh, you're going to catch a cold. You're going to catch your death of cold. I have a neighbor who literally averts his eyes. It's when he sees me because he can't stand to see me <laughs> so cold. I have been surprised <laughs> now. You don't want to hurt yourself. There is that, we're looking for that hormetic stress, right? We're looking mm -hmm. for that stress. It's just enough to challenge your body, but you're not killing yourself. So if it's below 32, I'll wear leggings or I won't stay out as long because I'm trying to be wise, you know, but it's just enough to tell my body, you got to work here. And then what it's doing is it's stimulating my, or supporting my immune system so that it's ready. And it's kind of like just exercising a muscle so that it's ready when I really do have a genuine stressor. And maybe this is one reason, you guys, I was so optimistic at the top of this program when you asked me how 2021 is going is because I expect the best and my body is ready for it. You know, I'm, it's just amazing. I'm just so thankful. And, and I'm sure the sun and the shivers and, and catching cold is really helping me be ready for anything. Oh, I love yeah. all of that so much. So you cool. have amazing energy. I can like feel it through the computer screen. <laughs> Just, yeah, well, I so hope we get to fun. hang together, you guys. I want to be in the sunshine and shivering with you too. Yeah. Well, I'm going to I'm Mexico hopeful. actually in February as well. I'll definitely, well, I mean, I have a lot of sun here in Vegas. I'm very fortunate, but Mexico mm -hmm. will be warmer. But are you guys, are you a part of like any like women's biohacker collective that's doing any retreats or anything? Because we should just get together. We've, no, been we've been thought of talking about starting our own. Let's just do it. Okay. Let's get a bunch of us together. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's do it. So you guys first heard it here. It's yeah. see, I told you invited. good things were going to happen this year. <laughs> yeah. And we can make it so that if people, you know, want a social distance or mask, but hopefully we won't even have to do all that stuff down the line, but we can make it right. so you can have options, you know, but if you're willing, I will give you a big holistic Hilda hug. Cause that's what I love. <laughs> oh, I want one. So I'm badly. in for it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we go somewhere like Mexico where we have a little more free reign. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey there, it's Renee. And today I am announcing our giveaway winner from our last podcast. Thank you so much to everyone that went on Apple Podcasts and left us great reviews. We really appreciate it. It really helps us to continue running this podcast. And we are forever grateful for all of you for doing that for us. So the winner this week is username Jen Kicks Corona. Love the username. Um, that's great. <laughs> awesome. So <laughs> yeah. So um, I assume it's Jen. Um, but Jen, if you can reach out to us and let us know what prize you would like, we are offering either a $25 gift card to Kion, which is one of our favorite supplement companies, or a $25 gift card to Four Sigmatic, which is where we get our mushroom coffee and all of our delicious hot mushroom chocolate drinks and lots of goodies. So that is up to you. Just shoot us an email at biohackerbabes at gmail.com with your name and address, and we will get that out to you right away. Congrats, Jen. Yeah. So Hilda, cool. what other, I'll just say in quotes, biohacks do you like to engage in? What are some other things you do to support your resiliency or overall health? I have to tell you that 
the spiritual component is not one to overlook, which I think we often do. We're like, oh, mm-hmm. well, you know, meditation, that's for Luke's story or whoever, you know, whoever the gurus are out there, you know, it's like, that's just not for me. If you just take a moment to start your day with a mind image or with some quiet, like it really can help. And I know this is hard. If you've got young kids, oh my gosh, I've been there. But whatever you can do that will help kind of frame your day. I bookend my day with gratitude in the morning and gratitude at night. I literally will put a smile on my face as my head is on the pillow. Cause you know, that's a time we start rehearsing worries. Sometimes I'm like, no, I think of the things I'm thankful for. And it really, really helps me. I think, yeah, it's not to be taken for granted. It's something that people should be intentional about. So I, I usually just write a little something in my gratitude journal in the morning. I, you know, I have my own little rituals I do, but just do the simple act of smiling when you wake up and thinking about what you're looking forward to in your day and smiling when you put your head on the pillow might be a great place to start. Yeah. Thinking about what you're looking forward to as opposed to not looking forward to, because we could probably create a list on both sides, but might as well focus on the good. (laughs) Right. right. Absolutely. Uh, One of my friends for a new year's gift, I guess I would say she gave me a Mason jar and post-it notes. And every week I have to write something that happened that week that I'm grateful for and put it in the jar. And then the end of the year, I get to dump them all over the floor and read them. What a cool idea. I'm so excited. I know. I thought that was such a cute idea. That's a great gift. We should just start sending that out to the world. A mason jar and post-it notes. Like so simple, but amazing and powerful. Yeah. I love that. So Hilda, a little bit more about Weston Price. I would love to hear um, more about like fertility and preconception. I know this is a big thing with what the Western Price Foundation. Can you share a little bit about that? Because I think we have a lot of women that listen that are maybe preparing to conceive or are pregnant or breastfeeding. Yeah, did a few episodes on hormonal health recently. So this would be a great addition. Oh, I'm yeah. so glad you asked about that because it's well and good for us to be well but we want the next generation to be well and to get the best, healthiest start possible, right? So yeah, Dr. Price noticed when he visited these indigenous people that different groups, again, all around the world, very varied groups, were still making special provision of foods for people in their childbearing years and not just the women, the men too, which is very interesting to me. What they did, again, they were looking for the quality. and so. They were eating fish roe is the first thing I can think of is fish eggs. He found that in Peru, the people even in the mountains would make their way down to the coast and get them and dry the fish eggs and then take up into the mountains. And he would say, why are you going to all this trouble? You live up in the mountains. And they said, because we want to have healthy babies. They literally would say that. So what we eat, even preconception can enhance fertility and also give the baby the best start. Because once you know you're pregnant, you know, the baby's already been developing and you start popping your prenatals, that's fine as far as that goes, but there's nothing that beats the combination even of nutrients in nature's whole real foods. So in the foundation, we emphasize the sacred foods that they did find around the world that included the fish eggs, butter, definitely butter. As a matter of fact, in Africa, the couples would only marry in the spring when they knew that the cows were grazing on the grass and that they could make the butter from that. So they would have the best grass um, and the best milk. But notice that I've mentioned a lot of 
animal products. I mean, I didn't say meat yet, but although organ meats are great, but animal products like eggs and cheese and milk and butter and the very things that you said, Lauren, come to mind when you think of the Western Price Foundation are the sacred foods that are traditionally taken by both the man and the woman who want to conceive. And I think Sally would also say, and because I've interviewed experts on this topic, I will say it's also a good idea to detox as much as you can before you conceive, um, because we are surrounded by all these toxins in the air and in the water and in the food. And I'm not saying this to freak anyone out, but you know, get off hormonal birth control and give yourself space um, to detox from that. And when I say detox, I don't just mean like drink green smoothies. Did you know that broth? like literally bone broth is a detoxing agent. There's glycine and of course the collagen that looks great on your skin. There are all these nutrients that are found within the bones that are extracted through the broth making process that are really good for helping your whole body detox. So get on some of these whole real foods, leave detox just from the process stuff. And you will find, I hope, you know, that your fertility will come to you easier and that your baby will have the best start possible. Yeah. That's so great. I'm so you brought up, I'm glad you brought up the green juice thing because I think that's super popular. I think people think they have to add something in a juice or a supplement to detoxify, but sometimes it's just removing the big offenders because we all have them coming from every angle. And also yes. like eating real food before you go to the supplements. I'm surely prenatals are helpful, but if you can get that from food, shouldn't absolutely. Yeah. And it's really interesting. Um, and I've done some podcasts on this, so you guys can look them up. I'm, about giving your baby a healthy start. But I think in China, the women would eat like six, pregnant women would eat six to nine eggs. Can you believe it? Six to nine eggs a day, wow. <laughs> which is a lot of eggs. Wow. Um, yeah. But again, trying to build that baby's brain with a choline and the things you've never even heard of that eggs you know, contain. They're just amazing. I love eggs so much. But the other thing I wanted to say, and think about it too, two things I want to say. Eggs are like the seed of a chicken or a chick, right? So and fish eggs are like the seed of the fish. So do look to eat things that are seeds of things to grow mm. your baby. It's just something to think about. It's kind of one of those yeah. intuitive things, almost that uh, doctrine of signatures they talk about, like a walnut looks like a brain, so it's good for you. Right, you know? in Chinese medicine, right. yeah. Avocado looks like the womb. I mean, I don't know. But then yeah. the other thing I wanted yeah. to say was pay attention to your environment when I was saying detoxing. And um, I've talked to Luke Story and to Daniel Dubon from Defender Shield and the radiation we're exposed to is also a lot for a little baby that's just growing. So take care in your environment to, you know, see where your router is, turn it off at night. Maybe I have a little covering for our Wi-Fi router at my house. I'm working on getting Ethernet cable everywhere, but we're not perfect, you know, so you just do the best you can, but try to keep these things far from you. And that way you're protecting your baby and also be especially careful of baby monitors, which apparently are high emitters of mm. non-native electromagnetic frequencies. And there yeah. are baby monitors out there. I think Luke Story even sells one on his site that um, are wired or work differently because you don't want your baby to be receiving all these waves. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen some of the newer ones that are super fancy. Like they can pick up any little movement or sound and it's constantly submitting, you know, Bluetooth and it's like the new tech is great, but what are we sacrificing mm -hmm. for that? So all great points. Yeah. And all you have to think about is how a microwave heats food. And so some of these wavelengths are on the same wavelength. <laughs> and while it's not heating necessarily your ear or your body, you don't feel that heat. There are still invisible waves, just like the waves from the sun. Only the waves from the sun are generally healing. 
So. Right, right. I'll never forget one time I went through airport security and it was when they had just released the new scanners and I opted out and the security guard was like, this is ridiculous that you won't go through it. It's just like standing in front of a microwave. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I don't stand in front of my microwave for that reason. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Thank you for confirming why I'm not going to go through that. And the other thing I tell them is I don't need one more thing. I mean, maybe I would stand in front of my, I don't have a microwave, but if I did, if I did stand in front of it, I don't need one more standing in front of the microwave moment, you know? So right. You're like, I'm on my cell phone enough. I don't need another round of that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We have to control what we can control. Cause I know even Mm -hmm. if I completely biohack my apartment, I live in New York city. So there's still a Wi-Fi, Bluetooth pollution everywhere. So I can do everything in my control because we don't have control of so many other things. Oh, Lauren, that just reminds me of one more thing. So everywhere when I drive, I see like one more cell tower, another, you know, 5G network thing. And it's easy to get worried. And and especially if you're actually a young mom and maybe you're living in New York too, I don't know. But, you know, it's really, really, really easy to get worried. So I do two things. One is like I told you, I have a spiritual practice. I pray and stuff. I also think positive things. So whenever I drive by a tower, I say to myself, I'm impervious. And it's like, I'm saying force field up. And so I'm like staying strong. I'm girding my body and telling it, you're not going to let that get to you. So um, even if it's just a little Jedi mind trick, I feel like that's a really good thing to do to kind of protect yourself. And you also can do that in terms of what you let in to your mind. If you watch too much news or you watch, you know, horrible series about, I don't know, Breaking Bad. That's not that bad, I guess, but I don't know. I don't watch these things, but if you let that (laughs) into your mind. that's a great show, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Probably it's good. I'm not trying to endorse or, you know, push it aside, but I'm just saying whatever you let in is part of your diet. It's what you're consuming. So Mm -hmm. be careful not to let worry, you know, live in your head and do what you can to be impervious to your, you know, negative thinking or surroundings because you can't control everything. You only have control over a bit of it. So take it, take it and hold on to your agency. Yes, I love that point. I'm such a victim to that at times. Just this past Christmas, going to visit my boyfriend's family. I won't give too many details, but there was a Wi-Fi router in the room where I was sleeping and I panicked. I was like, I can't sleep in here. But I was like, well, I have no other choice. So I can choose to relax and just focus on getting the best sleep possible. Mm-hmm. And maybe what was turn I going to do? Off? Could you turn, Did it, you off? turn it off? <laughs> I considered it, but I was like, I don't want to cause problems. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to survive. I, d- I chose to just survive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, actually, it's a conscious decision. Yeah. When I used to drive through the easy pass, driving like Maryland to New York, that route, right. There's so many easy pass things. I would do the same thing. Hilda. I would like, imagine like this shield comes up in front of me, like superwoman. And I'm like, whatever radiation's coming off, it's not going to get me, whatever it is. <laughs> nice. so it's blocked off. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, I'm happy Super to hear people do that. Super <laughs> yeah. That's right. <laughs> oh, Hilda, um, so much amazing information. Did you have another question? I didn't mean to cut you no, off. No, no, no. I could listen to your stories all day long, but um, we want to be mindful of your time. Before we wrap up, we like to always ask our guests if you could give one piece of advice, something that our audience could take away today, start working on in this moment. What would that be? Gosh, oh, that's so tough. And I ask a similar question on my show. Oh, I have cool. to think for a moment. <laughs> You never asked yourself this, right? Yeah, really, really, really. Well, I can, yeah. I can feel you have 20 answers. You're trying to- I know, I do have a lot. <laughs> I, I think what I would say is 
wellness is multifaceted and don't forget the spirit part. You know, I've said it a few times in our, in our talk today, but don't neglect it because it can kind of cover a multitude of sins. As the Bible says, love covers a multitude of sins, you know, lean into love, lean into positivity. And this is not so that you become like a, you know, a Pollyanna or a toxic positive person or whatever, which I actually don't think is possible, but it's so that you can have a healthy outlook. And that tells your whole body and your whole spirit, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. St. Julian of Norwich, a 14th century mystic, prayed that prayer. And if nothing else, if you can't Imagine that you can at least try to pray that, make it your little mantra through the day. All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And I think this will feed your body in a very profound way. That's beautiful. And you said St. Julian? Mm-hmm, that's her name. And she went through war and famine and the bubonic plague. <laughs> she saw like all these people, you know, taken out by these things. And this was her prayer. Wow. Perfect for. 2020 and 2021. Mm-hmm. Everyone yeah. thinks the world's ending, but mm-hmm. that's great. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Yes. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on the show. You guys are so sweet. And I really oh, do so want to connect with you in person. We'll yes. do Yes. Oh. Hopefully we can get together this year. That would be amazing. And um, for everyone listening, we will put in the show notes how you can connect with Hilda. We have Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, website, email, podcast. You have everything going. So we will share <laughs> all of that so and connect. Yes. Well, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure chatting with you today. Oh, you guys too. It's great. Thank you so much for having me on. I love you guys. And thanks everyone for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. Happy biohacking.